and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we are once again joined by James Parker from Stonewoods, Canterbury. And in today's show, we're going to be talking about the challenges of being a developer. It's easy, right? I see Kenyon Clark on the Instagram on the regular, and he's always driving around a new car, traveling in a helicopter, going on a private jet somewhere. <laughs> it's got to be easy. Well, the fact that you call it the Instagram <laughs> makes me worried about your perception of reality, Andrew. But we are really pleased to be talking about this because not only are there challenges constantly within this market, but also because it's such a hot market at the moment in New Zealand and we're coming out of COVID time, so that presents some unique challenges, which I just think are really interesting for general listeners, but anyone who is thinking about becoming a developer as well or aspiring to be. So James, what are some of those big challenges that you're facing right now because of coming out of COVID times yep. or because of it's a hot market. Yeah, you're right there. there. There are challenges and they change dependent on, you know, if we looked a year ago, my challenges would have probably been sales. Now they're pretty easy to get and the challenge shifts to something else. So yeah, particularly at the moment with the fallout from COVID, we're finding it very difficult to find certain items. And you'll have seen that on the news, container ships waiting to dock for a number of reasons, but uh, at the coal face that's resulted in us not having a number of materials when we need them. So is that things like heat pumps or taps and vanities, etc.? Yeah, pretty much anything that gets bought offshore. We've had particular problems with vanities, showers. Vanities a are a problem for Ed as well. <laughs> well, I heard as well, before lockdown, I think it was that light switches were something that were really difficult to get at the moment. Yeah, we've gone all right with light switches. You got some of yeah, those, maybe yeah, you start yeah. up. And I remember as well, Andrew, just while we were recording during COVID times as well, we were talking about that some developers were stocking up on yes, paint. Absolutely. And they said, don't worry, I've gone and bought out money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually do remember Matt Horncastle ringing me saying that he'd stocked up, he bought all the paint that he possibly could. Yeah, we've started doing that at the moment. So we've gone and met all of our suppliers. So Doomsday preppers. Mm hmm. So what happens, I mean, let's just take it to the logical conclusion, which is what happens if you can't get enough showers? Is the price of showers going up because there's so much demand but not enough supply? I think it's a point in time at the moment. So there's a lot of people who have ordered a lot, which is probably causing more problems than it's worth. A lot of our suppliers have, we've gone, we need a 200 showers for next year. So they've gone and bought 200 showers. They're going to keep in a shipping container at the warehouse. So I wonder whether or not you'll have upward pressure on industrial rents, like, you know, the commercial market's going to be pretty tough for the next few years, in my opinion. I wonder whether or not industrial might be a good opportunity because there's going to be a whole lot of storage requirements. So it sounds like as well, James, that a lot of these materials are kind of plastics and things that would be built offshore. That'd be fair to say? A lot of it comes from China and Vietnam, particularly appliances, any bathroom wear. We've had a problem. We get all of our appliances from Germany. So we use Bosch, always have. Real good product, really stand by the product. But what that's meant is people haven't been able to get the alternative brands that are a little cheaper. So then they go to the stuff that's coming in okay, which creates us issues because everyone tries to get the stuff that we buy. Wow. You know what? It makes you think... When you see appliance retailers like a Harvey Norman or yes. a Briscoe's talk about how busy they are, it makes you wonder how they're getting all their stock in as well. So I'll tell you now, they're not. So here's what happens. I went to Harvey Norman's the other day and bought a washing machine and a dryer. And so I go in there. You don't do laundry. Well, no, no, but Lauren insists I'm doing it. So we go in there and I choose the units that I want, negotiate a deal, go to the till, pay for it. And then he says, okay, so that'll be delivered about February. 
<laughs> which was a terrible stitch up because I wouldn't have bought the things if I'd known they were coming in February. So anyway, Lauren's just going to go down to the YMAC and wash everything by soap and water. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. So we've talked about building materials, but obviously the other issue we've got is the lack of labour from overseas because the borders are shut. Mm. And I know some people, if they've come here from overseas to work, are potentially having visa issues. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of the labour that we're missing at the moment is skilled labour. So it's not necessarily... Tell me about the, it. The chiefs. <laughs> um, and look, well, I can see the problems coming. We've been a little bit busy following the lockdown, but the heat in the market is meaning that lots of us are selling houses at the moment. And there's a natural time frame that leads into that. So the problems we've had this year will be nothing compared to what is coming next year. One of the particular trades we're having problems at the moment is bricklayers. So we've got to be a bit forward thinking. So we've swapped to a percentage of our houses being a different cladding. We've gone for a rock coat render system, less labour intensive, because we need to look ahead and see how we can deal with it. And that's really interesting because, you know, bricklayers, so because often, you know, Australia uses a lot more bricks and maybe the UK, is that where often some of that labour comes from? Or, or um, having said that, some Vietnamese guys did some work for us with some bricks at one stage. Where do those people come from normally? In a lot of countries. So we have Chinese bricklayers, Eastern European, English, Australian. One of the main problems with the industry is people aren't training enough people. Yes. people. There's no incentive for bricklayers to carry another person on their crew to train them up. Is that um, because maybe people are going to other forms of cladding now? Generally think it's a lack of intervention from the government. Yes. The construction industry always goes in peaks and troughs. Yes. And when it's in its trough, a lot of people leave the industry. Guys that carry a labourer don't carry them anymore. And then we go to the peak. And guess what? They haven't got any staff. As brick cladding a slower cladding process than a lot of other things? Yeah. yeah. So why do you do it? It's hard wearing, it's cost effective and particularly for the investment stock, um, yes. longevity yeah. and maintenance is a big tick. So if you can get a brick property as an investment property, it's probably worthwhile over the next couple of years if you can. What about brick veneer? It's all brick veneer. Oh, right. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> And I know one of the big issues as well in Rolleston at the moment, which is where you're primarily building, James, there is a real lack of land. Now, a lot of people, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to get your perspective as well. They might look at Rolleston on Google Maps and they'd say, gosh, there's a lot of green land around it. Surely you'll never have a supply of land issue in Rolleston. But there seems to be a real lack of land there right now. Talk to me about that. Yeah, we're finding it incredibly hard to find land. How it's occurred is obviously the market's real hot and the land developers, so the guys that pick up land and title it, weren't ahead of the game enough and probably sold six months of stock in about four weeks. They obviously weren't listening to the Property Academy podcast because if they were, they would have figured that out in advance. Yeah, they should be listening to you, Andrew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what has happened is that they can't turn land supply on straight away. Yeah. So there's a process from turning a what is a farm in Rolleston, what you see on Google Earth, into a title piece of land that you can build on. What do you estimate that that normally takes for you know a significant amount of land? The civil works alone would take six months, the consenting three months. If you've got to do a zone change, probably another three months. So you're looking at like a year from a decision to change something to being able to build on it. And then that's after you've negotiated the actual purchase and actually yeah. had it all go through. So it can take two or three years in a lot of cases, right? And then you add the build onto it as well. So at the moment, we're selling houses two years ahead, which may seem quite a long time. But when you sort of backdate all of that, that's actually quite quick. Yeah. And just to clarify for everybody before we move on, what's the difference between a land developer and what you guys do? Okay, so a land developer is typically someone who will go and negotiate with someone who owns the land. 
purchase it if they need zone it with the councils as I say it's farmland rezone it to residential and then they will get a resource consent and they'll build all the roads the drainage the utilities and title it with lins and then once that's done we can go in and what we do is we buy the land we finance it we put a package together we do the turnkey solution and then deliver the house at the end and just briefly because i know this is a hot topic everything selwyn district council is currently going through their district plan what's involved with turning a piece of land from farmland to say residential you've got to have a good in with the council you've got to show that you've got experience to do it that the land should be residential land so that it grows it doesn't put a burden on the infrastructure in the area and often that will go out for to be publicly notified so the council will make their internal decisions then listen to what people have to say about it and then putting all of that information together with the technical engineering services all of the information that the developers submitted they'll make a decision and so then you could have people from the public objecting to having more sections converted yeah. to residential because they're happy now having the 15 minute drive into town and don't want to go back to 30 yes andrew so there's a number of people that could object uh, quite interestingly the christchurch city council were one of the objectors towards really? um selwyn yeah primarily the reasons listed were... They're failing the 808... Oh, eight, no, uh, 8011 8, project. project. Yeah, <laughs> now, I heard about this because on our recent webinar, people were asking about, I think it was a thousand-section development out in Rolleston, yes, if I've understood yes, that. Yes. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, James, is that Christchurch City Council were objecting because they didn't want people to move out of the city and move into Rolleston. Amazing. Yeah, well, they... they That's not they, probably they, what they said. They said transport, which was quite funny considering the new road just opened about <laughs> two, two months ago. So um, I don't see transport as a big issue. I think it's more about where the rate money goes and where the facilities are used. And just briefly before we move on, I want to ask about regulation as well. Is healthy homes, for instance, pushing up the cost of compliance because you now need to bring these properties up to speak for healthy homes? It's an interesting question, actually. I get asked it quite a lot. There's actually not a major, major cost implication to getting a new home up to healthy home standards. A lot of it is covered by the building code already. The only one we've really come across is the need to increase the heat pumps to quite a substantial size. They take variable temperature outside as being minus four, which I think is quite an extremity. That, for it, it is for Christchurch. We'd be all flying to Auckland if that were the case. Actually, just one thing I want to note there, though, that's if you get it right at the start. So one of the interesting things is that if you build a house now, you can't then retrofit some additional heat sources by putting uh, panel heaters on the wall. That's not acceptable. You have to get the size of the heat pump right at the start. If you cock it up, then it's much more expensive to fix it afterwards. That's right, because any property built after July 2019, if it's not right straight away, you've got to install a brand new heat pump. You can't top it up with panel heaters. Bizarre, isn't it, James? Incredibly. Now, what I want to know is, what are all these things, the lack of building materials, the lack of cheap labour, the lack of land, the increased regulation, what is that doing to prices, if, if anything at all? I think you already know the answer to that. <laughs> well, what I really want to He's know is, the witness. is, to what degree does it increase the price of construction? The biggest for us is land prices. So there's definitely been a spike in land prices. And the only thing we can do with that is pass that on. Percentage-wise, construction, 
It's difficult to guess. I'm thinking we'll see quite a lot of price increases next yes. year. Over recent packs that we've created, you're probably looking at an increase of twenty to 30000 Yes. I think post-COVID lockdown, Stone were nice enough to do us some really nice discounts just to kind of incentivise the market mm. again and get the things moving. One of my investors I spoke to at the weekend, and he'd signed up at 40000 less than what someone would pay today because basically prices have gone up 20 to 30 grand and he got a 10k discount so he's rubbing his hands together the house isn't even built yet and he's made 10% the important thing is, what's what's the price going to be next year? And, and look, I honestly think that, particularly, you know, Rolston's an example, not to harp on about it, you know, you were kind of early fives at the start of the year, you're mid fives now, you will have a six in front of that next year, in my opinion. 100%. The important thing here is not just to recognise the challenges and how these challenges are affecting prices now, but also even after some of these are fixed, even as building materials become easier to get into New Zealand or we have that labour from overseas then coming in, we're not going to see house prices drop because that's come in, because a new level has been set and there will be new challenges. So one of the things we often talk about in regards to capital growth is that construction costs are continually increasing. Now these won't necessarily be what are increasing prices next year or the cost of construction next year, it'll be something else, some other challenge, a lack of professional painters perhaps. Yeah, uh, we don't know what's coming up. Uh, we've got double the houses to build next year and we're just trying to forecast problems. I'd say the key learning is to get uh, it contracted as soon as possible. At the moment, we take all of the risk on it and yeah. we carry that risk as new risk evolves. So does our pricing. And if somebody has decided, oh gosh, James, you seem like a trustworthy guy and uh, and this sounds pretty good. I'm interested in a Stonewood property from Canterbury. You know, how do they go about that? How do they get in touch with you? There's two routes. I obviously have an internal sales team. If they're buying an investment product, we do generally lead them towards Opus. A lot of people say, well, I get a better deal. Opus do the full wraparound service, so they'll do all your accounting, build up your tax, property management, and we sell quite a lot through Opus. So they get a wholesale price, which basically means, yeah, it's the same as if you walked off the street. So I'm not going to get it any cheaper if I just come to you? You certainly won't, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, hey, I appreciate that, James, because we didn't even ask you to say that, so it's very, very kind of you to say such nice things. Look, let's wrap it up there, and thanks so much for listening to the Property Academy podcast. Of course, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does actually help us get the message out to more people. And if you've got somebody that you'd like us to have on the show, a guest a recommendation or a topic recommendation, then flick us a text. Our number is 5522. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 